When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Twenty 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 four Totally Football Show. I want to be sedated. It's our special Miss Much Over Christmas edition as we get back up to speed on who had a good festive break and Wayne Rooney. Uh, Liverpool, Arsenal, West Ham, Wolves, all names of teams that may feature as we bring you what could be our best roundup yet this year. It's the Totally Football Show. Tuesday, the 2nd of January, 2024. Happy New Year, listener. What do we got for you? A quiet room full of tired eyes. The tired eyes of Jay Harris. Hello, Jay. Hey, Jimbo. Happy New Year. Well, thanks so much, man. Yeah, to you too. Uh, also here with us, JJ Bull. Hello, James. I bet you had a big hogmanay. Yes. Good. It was fantastic. All right, then. Daniel Story's also here. From some kind Happy of New Year, James. bookline study, as befits you, Daniel Story. Mm, I've changed the every year. I like to change the sort of the way the office is set out, and there's nice. only three ways you can do it. So it's on a sort of three yearly cycle. What, what's the theme for this year, Daniel? It's less of a theme and more of a sort of physical rearrangement of furniture. I see. Um, but yes, the desk is in a different place. All right, and the, point, and, and the, the fold-out camp bed is folded back up. I noticed. They are, yeah, that's not a, a sort of midlife crisis. They are uh, lots of football shirts in shirt bags. I see. They, uh, that's not a bed, I promise. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Happy New Year to you, Daniel. Happy New Year. What, what, what do we miss since our last pod a fortnight ago? Well, when we left things, Arsenal were top uh, with Liverpool and Villa back then, a point behind. Now, of course, it's side who uh, rule the roost. Three points clear of Villa with City and Arsenal, who are now in fourth place, five points behind. We've seen uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe finally getting that 25% of Man United on Christmas Eve. Uh, huge difference that's made to United's performances. We've seen great festive breaks for Wolves and West Ham, less so, sadly, Jay, for the likes of Brentford and Everton. And, of course, Newcastle, who got rather pumped on... Uh, Monday night, New Year's Day in that big game at Anfield. Possibly the biggest Christmas losers of all would be Arsenal, though, would you say? Possibly. It doesn't look great for them now, does it? They might have lost their festive spirit. Yeah. Just a blip like all big teams get. I was quite concerned by the nature of the, the two losses to West Ham and, and Fulham personally. But I think they, they went into that Anfield game with, with quite a lot of confidence that they'd you know, win there for the first time in I think it's 11 or 12 years. Came away with a point which should never be taken for granted at Anfield and then since then they just seem to have taken quite a few steps backwards. Mm. Why? We'll be asking that question and many others. Many others. But what do you think, Daniel? Should we start with a big New Year's Day production at Anfield, Liverpool 4, Newcastle 2? This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Salah, this time! Au revoir with a smile! 
miss him when he's not here. Mo Salah converting the controversial penalty with which Liverpool made it fourth. Some dispute about how much they deserved that spot kick, but did they deserve four goals based on the numbers? Probably yes. Jamie Carragher calling it, in fact, Liverpool's best performance of the season. What do you call it, Daniel Story? Certainly from an attacking sense, I think they'll be they'll be pretty annoyed they the game was even a contest with four or five minutes to go because yeah they were so dominant they they cut through Newcastle's midfield they are creating chances by the hatful which they really weren't doing a few weeks ago you think back to that Sheffield United away game which was really poor they they look like a kind of all or nothing title team at the moment Liverpool they they seem to be able to turn it on for a game and it doesn't really seem to have any lasting effect but it also doesn't seem to knock them off stride when they play poorly and win uh, and yeah they were I think it's the highest XG recorded in highest by XG. them in Premier League history well, maybe by anyone since 2010-2011 when I think they started when you know dawn of the XG yep. if you will <laughs> uh, XG of 7.2 uh, Liverpool averaging a shot every three minutes mm, I mean we do have to slightly temper the, the, that XG because Darwin Nunes had about 1.8 of it mm. um, and, and didn't score so but yeah and they, and they had two penalties but yeah even so Newcastle have been until the beginning of November a very resolute defensive team and they looked completely at sea and Liverpool looked capable of identifying those problems and exploiting them which they needed with, with Salah going off to, to AFCON now and, and losing Endo and a couple of others Right yeah, Mo Salah, who notched up his 150th and 151st Premier League goals for Liverpool. But he will be absent for up to four fixtures. Bournemouth away, Chelsea at home, Arsenal away and Burnley at home. What happens to Liverpool without Mo Salah over the next month? It's an important question and one that you know could essentially decide where, where the title ends up if Liverpool can kind of maintain their form and, and find a way to replace Salah. But as Daniel just touched upon, Liverpool in the first half created so many chances, but too often they fell to, to Darwin Nunez, who just, <laughs> for whatever reason, just can never seem to, to score even simple chances. On Monday Night Football, Carragher was talking about how Nunez's um, his running, his pressure, etc. is so good, but then he just kind of loses all composure in the box. And it's now been 18 months where people have said, oh, when Nunez gets up and running... Liverpool will be a real force, but it feels like we're, we're still waiting for that moment. So... If he can, and I know this has probably been said a lot, if he can finally start to, to convert some of those chances into goals, then Liverpool will, will kind of stay and, and keep pace at the top of the league. But if not, then they, they might struggle a little bit. OK. What do you think, JJ? A Salah-less Liverpool, what's going to happen to them over the next month? Well, they have some nice players that can come in and replace them and mm. they're multi-positional, they can swap around. Um, and I think we see, I mean, I think Diaz is a really underrated player. I think he's fantastic and gets a lot, uh, does a lot for them. When Gakpo came on, I think that gave him a lot more control in that game. He's a lot calmer. I think Nunez kind of represents almost the old Klopp, high-pressing, just loads of stuff happening all the time, always. Then you've got Gakpo comes on a little bit controlled, and then when he sort of missed, hits that shot that goes in, it's still just exactly what you needed. And I wonder whether... I mean, players like Salah are obviously the game-changers and make the difference, but players like Gakpo can then give you the control that you need. They've got this um, young lad, Ben Doak, or Ben Doak, I'm not sure how you say his name. He's Scottish. He's a right, mm. a right, a left-footed right-sided inside forward, I guess you'd say, or winger or something like that. He's, he was great in pre-season. I would love to see him get some minutes as well. You might see him come off the right, because you could play, I guess, any of those, like Jota will probably go on the right side and will sneak in for goals. I think they've got lots and lots of good options. I don't think it'll be too big. Hmm. Okay, Watara Endo also heading off to the uh, 
Asian Cup and Man City, who I guess you'd call their main rivals, will be losing precisely no one over this period. In fact, looks like they're getting Kevin De Bruyne back. He was sat there uh, watching on as they beat Sheffield United 2-0 at the weekend and maybe featuring in next weekend's fixture, which is an FA Cup third round hosting of Huddersfield. Ooh. Is Kevin potentially coming in and Mo going out, etc.? Is that too simplistic to say this could be where the title race turns? I mean, I already, I already think, I think I've, Broke maybe two months ago. We all get tricked into thinking Manchester City are not going to win the league, and then Manchester City win the league. They did this last year. They were five points behind Arsenal at least for for a while. They win their game in hand now. They're two points off Liverpool, and I think they are. They've got two points more know-how. I think they've got two points more quality. Not necessarily depth. I think Liverpool have probably got the better depth, but I, yeah, I just don't see a a world where City aren't five points clear in mid-March and we all say, well, obviously City are going to win the league. They always win the league. Mm. Well, for now they are... Quite defeatist, wasn't it? But (laughs) (laughs) At the moment, they're five points behind. What about Newcastle, by the way? We've now dropped to 11 points off the top four. Five defeats in their last six, seven in their last eight in all competitions. They've got Sunderland at the weekend of the Cup. Ooh, I think Newcastle definitely get a little sense of a feeling that they've been run into the ground, ragged. And also I think maybe there needs to be a little bit of context that you look at players like Tino Livramento and Lewis Miley, who are very, very good players, very talented, but they are also quite young. And I'm pretty certain Livramento's just played, I don't know how many games in a row, but he's playing regularly off the back of quite a serious injury. I'm pretty certain it was an ACL injury. So all of a sudden you're expecting these young players to kind of perform at a really high level week in, week out. And that's quite difficult to do. I'm also not blaming them for the position that Newcastle are in. I'm just trying to give a little bit of um, added reason for why their performances are not matching what they were a few months ago. I think Trippier missed last night's game. Obviously, Tonali's out with a ban. I think Newcastle's squad has never quite been maybe on par with other teams in the top four, Mm. but just Eddie Howe coached them and improved the players he already had to a really good level. So I think now you're maybe seeing a point where he's kind of extracted everything he can from them. It's probably a little bit of a hangover from what happened in the Champions League as well. Um, And they just need to get a few players back and kind of reset and go from there. Okay. JJ, am I right in thinking that... Oh, sorry, were you about... You were enjoying what Jay was saying. I always like what Jay says, but I was going (laughs) to... Did you know that before... uh, the Liverpool game, Newcastle mm. had the highest non-penalty expected goals of anyone in the Premier League. The highest non-penalty expected yeah. goals. So they've been effectively creating more good chances than anybody. Absolutely. And uh, it's interesting, interesting because last season they kind of overperformed in, in defence. So mm. they're, they were really good in defence. They hardly conceded any. I think they would consider the same amount of goals as Man City, which is 33. But their expected goals against was, I think, the second best. So Man City were better. Mm. But they uh, they underperformed in their attack last season. So they had, I think, an XG of, I think I've written it down, 72. And they scored 64. So that's obviously an underperformance last season right. in their expected goals versus their actual goals scored. Don't you generally score less than your XG, though? Sometimes, yeah. Teams who overperform will obviously score more than that. And your right, teams yeah. like Liverpool and Man mm. City tend to do that. But I think um, what Jay said as well is that the squad, it's weird that the individual players, you wouldn't take many of them and put them in other teams. I think that's a good way to judge how good a, a team is. Like right. Bruno Gimaraes, you could drop him to Man City easily. Yeah, Isak could maybe go to yeah. somewhere like that. But the rest of them, it's just a good, solid team. And uh, that's exactly the problem is that now they're kind of... I think once you lose some of the confidence and momentum, I think because this Howe team is very similar to me in how Jurgen Klopp's early Liverpool were. It's basically the identity is intensity 
and you have to have momentum to get that. So people have a bit of fear because like, oh God, this game's going to be hard. And now if you start getting in your head that you're a bit tired, like Anthony Gordon looked quite slow. Like normally he'd be zipping all over the place because he'd have mm. a bit of rest, but he doesn't have it yesterday. So he has a few bursts of energy to go, but he can't then... There was a couple of times when the ball would... Uh, he went for a big run on a sprint to try and get the ball. The move broke down and he has to run back in. But because he's not sprinting back in, he's just kind of jogging back. His pressing position is not there. So that avenue is free. So then Liverpool can go through that avenue. And you're starting to see the... Like that's the specific where you see where that tiredness comes into it and how that then affects their massive XG against in that game. Mm. We should should probably say Nick Pope is injured as well. Yeah. Um, and Dubravka's come in for a lot of stick, but he did actually make some some pretty decent saves last night. But then he has also conceded four goals. But I think we shouldn't... It's important to mention that losing Pope is a big factor. Yeah, uh, amongst so many other players for, for Eddie Howe. Back to the most Salah thing. I think I'm right in saying that Liverpool actually have a really good record without him when he's gone off to Africa Cup of Nations past. Is there any reason why that is repeatable now? Was that based on players who they used to have but don't anymore? I think they just have they just have good players up front. They've got so many that can drop in and out. I mean, if, if you say he picked up a little hamstring injury or something like that and he missed three or four, I don't think you'd be going like, "Oh no, the season's over." You still think yeah. you still feel his absence. For me, I just think they have good players. I mean, another one I didn't mention was Harvey Elliott can mm. come in and play that position quite well. And he's, I think he's really starting, you're starting to see him really improve now. It's all off-ball stuff, out of possession, I think was his weakness and why he kind of got dropped when he was playing in the team. And I think now you're starting to see him get a lot better at that. And uh, so I'd quite like to see Elliott and Doak and Jotel be playing there. They'll be just fine. And Nunez can drop out into the right wing as well. Like they just swap around constantly. It's very hard to track when they all play together. Might want to mention for Curtis Jones. Uh, Curtis Jones for the Euros, in fact, says, my, I'm a very biased fan, but he's a fabulous footballer and Liverpool have been at their best this season when he's played. Also, massive shout out to Joe Gomez doing great after years of nightmare injuries. I sound like a DJ reading out dedications. Don't I? Massive shout out <laughs> to Joe Gomez yeah. currently on his way up the A40. <laughs> now here's Slade. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jones, um, I made a video a while ago just ah. to, to toot my own trumpets. Is that what you say? Very much. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, um, I noticed that Jones was really important to Liverpool when I think I can't remember the actual numbers. I'm trying to find them on my notes from ages ago, but when they have Jones in the team, they win a lot more. This was um, from August the first, 2022, to whenever I made this video, which was probably about three months ago or something. Their points per game are much higher with Curtis Jones in the team, and obviously lower without him in the team. And uh, I attributed that by going through and watching loads of games. I I think it's because of the stuff he does out of possession, the way he presses and the intensity that he does it. But he also, he's amazing on the ball. Because when he wins it back and when he forces pressure, his close control is exceptional, but he also sees the passes. So you see there was a couple of passes last night, or yesterday he was playing, where he's just threading things through really quickly. So it just forces them forward and gets them into those attacking positions. He'd be great for England. Mm. Any other conclusions about Monday night's events at Anfield? Daniel, Jay? On the Salah thing, I think there is a theory that he is so dominant in Liverpool's attack when he plays and they look to get the ball to him so much. It's kind of very much him and then two more. Um, that There is a surprise factor when he doesn't play. He doesn't get an awful amount of injury salary. He doesn't get bookings. He doesn't get suspended. I think when he goes away or when he's not in the team, there is a sense of it's quite hard for opposition managers to know how Liverpool will play because of the fluidity that, that JJ mentions in terms of the, the forwards rotating, it makes Liverpool very different, but I don't think it necessarily makes them worse. Interesting. I guess we'll find out over the next several weeks. Next up, though, let's look at uh, what Arsenal, what earth going on there?
For most of us, January means New Year's resolutions, but for the footballing world, January means one thing, transfers. The window is back open and that sound you can hear is managers frantically compiling their wish lists and agents tapping on their phones trying to get a good deal, while the rest of us wait for the next David Ornstein newsflash. There's a lot going on, and to stay on top of every move that matters, you need the Athletic Football Podcast. They were prioritising somebody like Mason Mount, Ilkay Gundogan was in the mix. Five days a week, we'll help you cut through the noise with the most reliable reporters in the industry. David Ornstein, Adam Crafton, Laurie Whitwell and many more will not only tell you what the deal is, but how it happened too. So make sure you don't miss a single transfer beat in January with the Athletic Football Podcast. Listen for free wherever you get your shows and hit follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Swings it in towards the penalty spot. Polina got his head on it, came off a defender, yes! and it's in. Bobby Decker over Reed for Fulham, it's 2 1. Among the big losers at the end of 2023, Mikel Arteta's Arsenal, beaten by West Ham 2 0. And then this weekend, 2 1. Uh, the defeat at Fulham, a Fulham side who are coming off the back of three straight defeats without scoring a single goal. First of all, Fulham love. Fulham love anyone? Yeah, 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 yeah. They Marco Silva told us that they needed Jimenez and William back, and then they'd be absolutely fine. And they got William and Jimenez back, and they were absolutely fine. Mm. Um, the work that that Marco Silva has done in in getting the best out of Raúl Jimenez shouldn't be underestimated what Fulham did against Arsenal and what they tend to do when Jimenez is the team is they they try and stretch the game really really wide with those wingers which then creates space for Jimenez in the box he's not really fast he's not going to run in behind much uh, he will win headers in the box although he's got a slightly less effective at that since his head injury but he's a really really good first time finisher so they try and stretch the game wide they try and get him space in the box he had five shots against Arsenal. Um, I think he had six against Forest a couple of weeks ago and I had a look and they're the only times he's had five or more shots in a Premier League game since like August 2021 or something. So they're, they're managing to get him to take shots and he's a good finisher. When he takes shots, he scores and he scored four and four. So yeah, Marco Silva promised it and I was a bit doubtful. I kind of thought that's not really an excuse for losing 5-0 or getting battered. But yeah, they, <laughs> they look really good when they're both in the team. He spent kind of around two years not looking like anything like a good finisher so what is there anything specific that Marco Silva has, has done beyond just sticking with him I just don't think he wasn't he wasn't getting a lot of taking a lot of shots I'm sure his confidence is down he wasn't starting loads of games he'd had the injury he'd kind of stopped scoring before the injury then got the injury and then carried on not scoring and clearly that had kind of dented his confidence I think you saw that when he went to Fulham mm. um, but the new club new manager new system you know, new players around you. And then as soon as you start scoring, that's what happens with strikers. You know, I, I think I joked about it at the time, but Dr. Forrest came along. He scored twice in a 5-0 win against Forrest and suddenly looks really happy. And um, yeah, those first touch finishes, that finish for the for the goal against Arsenal, but that's classic Jimenez. You kind of think he's this big striker that's going to hold the ball up. And actually what he's really good at is 
finding a little bit of space in the box and scoring. Magnificent. I, I should also say, I thought Calvin Bassey was the best player on the pitch. Um, I thought he was simply phenomenal. And what we probably should remember is that um, when Fulham played Arsenal at the Emirates earlier this season, I think that was his second appearance for Fulham and he, and he got sent off. So a little bit of a redemption story for him. But he was so good at aggressively following Odegaard, Jesus and Ketia, whoever it was, onto the halfway line, winning the ball off them. And then he would go on these marauding runs and, as Daniel kind of said, pop the ball out wide. And I think actually one of the goals might, might come from a similar scenario to that. But in possession and out of possession, I thought Bassi was so, so physical, so intelligent on the ball. I was really impressed. Excellent stuff. Oh, JJ. Yeah, well, he absolutely fires into, I think it's Sake. He goes, he goes into him really aggressive and snaps onto yeah. him. I like Bassi in the back line. I think Anthony Robinson's been really good this season. I never really noticed him before. In the last few games I've seen him play, I think he's been really impressive. And I think, uh, especially against Saka um, on the on the Arsenal game, because he had him, Saka always does this thing where he drops his shoulder and then goes to try and go past him to the line. And he seemed to have him read every single time, which is pretty good. And on, uh, on my earlier note, and players who you might take from teams that you can tell whether they're good because you might take a player out and put them to other places. Mm. Uh, Joao Polina mm. is uh, fantastic. He could easily play top, right. top five. Well, guess, one yeah. or two clubs are thinking of taking him out and putting him in, in their team. Absolutely. Wouldn't? Yeah. Is there any concrete word on, on, on where he might be going or if he might be going over this next month? I mean, he got, he got so close to Bayern that mm. you have to think that given that they're not romping home in the Bundesliga at the moment that you know they are behind Leverkusen you have to think that they think there's a pretty easy in there and I mean he, he was pictured wearing the shirt so we know he's up for the move <laughs> okay but <laughs> Karasaka perhaps becoming a little bit predictable JJ Arsenal as a whole is that what's happened to them three defeats in their last five just one win in their last six across all competitions compared to their kind of ghost racer of last season if you like they're 10 points down yeah I like that ghost racer I like mm. that yeah, I mean good. different fixtures perhaps but we're more or less at the halfway point so yeah no I think people have noticed that the way they play this season is it's very much about control and it's about being very hard to beat I mean they, they played four centre-backs in the, in the back line against Fulham uh, which isn't a bad thing to do. In Man City, done something similar, but they do it in very different ways. But the way they attack is very, very slow. And um, it's not it's so much that it's predictable. It doesn't really matter if you have good players because you can try and get around it. But they struggle to build through the middle when they build. So they have to go wide. And by the time they get to the opposition half, often it's then blocked out. So they do this thing where they do the horseshoe all the way around the penalty box and don't get anywhere. And then other teams know that's what they're trying to do. So they put loads of bodies in the middle so they can't do the cutbacks. And then they don't have anyone who can then hit the ball from the edge of the box. There was something I noticed about Arsenal in that they seem to just grind teams down over a long time in games. And I find them quite, I find them quite boring to watch this season. I don't really like them. And uh, when they get to the final 15 minutes, sure enough, that's when they score. So they've scored 11 and conceded three in the, as their best um, overall minutes for goals scored in the in the league this season. And that's what they do. And like it's, uh, I think it's 18 goals for open play, plus one from a counter-attack, which I think was against Fulham, and uh, an own goal as well. So it's only at 20 goals total that are open play. Mm. It's a lot of set pieces. So they've got Nicholas Jover, Jover as their set-piece coach, and he's obviously very good at what he does. And so they're, they're very good um, at taking advantage of set pieces, not just first phase, but second and third, and building from there, and then counter-pressing. You can ask me a question. Aren't you? <laughs> no, because you, when you mentioned that, I remember last time you were on, you were talking about how they're not as good at defending from set pieces, and specifically corners, and, and lo and behold. Well, my trumpet is playing today. Yeah. Uh, yes, I noticed this <laughs> from going through Arsenal corners. Basically, the thing I think I noticed was that if you hook the ball, it doesn't have to be in-swinging. As long as you put the ball on the six-yard line, uh, the keeper won't come for it. 
and then it turns into either a goal if you head it at the goal, which mm. is what the, the point of the game is, I suppose, or there's a bit of a stramash in the box and uh, you, they score from there, which is what Fulham did. So it bounces exactly around there and they score from there. And that might have been a weakness people look for um, when they can get an attack on Arsenal. But this problem is it's hard for teams to get chances against Arsenal because they are so in control of the game defensively. Like out of possession, um, my uh, friend and colleague, John McKenzie, uh, is obsessed with uh, pressing and out of possession stuff. And he, uh, I fully believe uh, what he says in that Arsenal are the best out of possession team in the entire world. Is that that exciting though? <laughs> really good at pressing, does it matter? What do you think, Jay? I just, um, yeah, agree with everything JJ said. In the 60th minute of um, both games against West Ham and Fulham, I felt like you knew exactly how the final 30 minutes were going to play out. Arsenal were just going to be, as you said, passing the ball around the box, trying to get Saka or Martinelli one-on-one with the fullbacks. But Anthony Robinson had a, in particular, had a great game against Saka and just felt like it wasn't going anywhere. Um, Odegaard was dropping so deep to to receive the ball and, and trying to make things happen. But then he's not close to the box where, where, where you need him to be. It just felt very flat. There was a lack of energy. There was a lack of ideas compared to Fulham who were just very fast on the counter-attack and just very fun to watch, I guess. And obviously there's a few issues with Arsenal that, that JJ's kind of highlighted, but you actually look at some of the the individual stats that players are putting up. Martinelli's only scored two goals in, in 18 appearances yeah. this season, which is considerably down on last year. Was last year just a season where everything fell into place for him and he was performing way above what his normal level is? So it was quick I'd attacks last season, wasn't it? Like last season, they were so good in transition and yep. they were able to like take advantage of space. The goal they scored against Fulham is a goal in transition from back to front uh, that they managed to score and they haven't really been doing that that much. Um, yeah, I was going to make a point, but I forgot what it was. It'll come <laughs> right. back to me in a second. I, okay. get, I guess a player like Martinelli is best in transition and when there's space in front of him. So when you're asking him to, to work in a team where you're coming up against low blocks a lot, you're not playing to, to his strengths. All right, JJ's back. I've got it. Here we go. <laughs> uh, so um, not that Arteta's copying Guardiola, that's not what he's doing, but there's various lots of similarities, which makes sense because he obviously was his assistant manager and was probably very influential on the training ground. So a lot of things you see from Man City the past few years was actually probably Arteta influenced and then Guardiola's taken it on. But the Arsenal have changed to being this more controlled version of Manchester City, which is what they were last season. But Manchester City did it with a, a world-class match winner in Erling Holland up top. Right. So when you have that, someone like Erling Holland or someone like, I'm trying to think about like Mo Salah, if you have one of those, right. that's the difference. And like, well, Saka is an amazing player. Yeah. I think he's not got the little bit extra to create like that. He's very functional and fantastic so if, at it. If the Gunners were to go out and buy themselves a... Uh... I'm not going to name any names here, <laughs> Jay, but, uh, you know, a top-class striker, would that would that be the difference? Daniel, no? Yes? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, Jesus taking the words right out of my mouth. Like, Gabriel Jesus has scored three goals from 32 shots this season. I think if Erling Haaland had had those shots last season, he'd probably be on nine, ten goals, and that's probably the difference between them now dropping out of that title race, it seems, certainly on current form, and them still being top of the league, because... Um, that control is very City, but City do it as a kind of latent threat. They're doing it to build up either a lack of concentration, you know, a kind of complacency in the mind of defenders or, or or physically dragging those players out of position because they're trying to get that one chance for Erling Haaland. And unfortunately, that one chance for Gabriel Jesus or Eddie Nketiah doesn't get finished often enough. Um, that's not to say they're poor players that's not to say that they're not very excellent strike center forwards but if you're going to play that control you have to have the guy that takes the chance because 
if that chance gets missed, you can see in Arsenal players, everyone sort of goes, oh, it was all that effort. It was all that four minutes of passing and we didn't even score the chance we created. <laughs> and that plays in people's minds and that kind of, you know, that 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 lack of belief, both in the mind of the striker and in the guy guys who are spending all that time creating the chance, that makes a difference. Yeah, producer Charlie points out their shot count across the last five games stands at 94. They've managed four goals. From those nights, quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah, that's quite a lot. It's because of the control, it's hard to score when everyone's behind you. The players are all good. I think I made Saka sound like he wasn't amazing, but it's a there's just something lacking that they, they don't have. Maybe they can get transfer market, probably not in January when everyone costs an extra 50 million on what they should. I think like Saka and Martinelli are still quite young players as well, yeah, yeah. So Obviously, Haaland is just belongs in his own separate category, but maybe some of the wingers we're comparing Saka and Martinelli to, Yasalas, maybe in years gone by, Mahrez's, etc., have been around for longer. So maybe they're just not quite. They've still got a long way to go in their development journey. Mm. Well, I sound like a teacher saying that. No, no, I like that. <laughs> you get what in I mean. Ways, yeah. That's what your job is here, Jay. For me, at least, uh, Liverpool. Your Liverpool's will be uh, coming to town. Well, believe it or not, my mum is a head teacher, or she's in education. Is she? Yeah, so there oh. you go. Flows oh, bless through. Her. Well done there and all the teachers <laughs> out there. Uh, fantastic. Liverpool are arriving at the Emirates in the Cup at the weekend. Uh, next up, ooh, it's been a sensational Christmas for Wolves and West Ham and hey, Forest. Let's touch on uh, some of those feel-good stories next. Now then, if your New Year's resolution for 2024 is to find the best Spurs podcast on the planet, then boy... Do I have a treat for you? I'm Danny Kelly, host of The View from the Lane, the Athletic's dedicated and award-winning Spurs podcast. Twice a week, I'm joined by Charlie Eccleshare, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore as they bring you everything you need to know from in and around the club. You won't get it anywhere else. Listen free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all the usual places and make sure to hit follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. The View from the Lane, people. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. We interrupt this kind of Premier League roundup for news of the Championship. Daniel. Wayne Rooney has lost his job after, I think, 82 I days in charge it. of Birmingham. I want to run to you. Yeah, I mean, 
Birmingham ran to him way, way too quickly. He all he. It seemed a very odd job to take because John Eustace was very popular. Had Birmingham sixth in the championship. That was basically where did he have them, season. Daniel? Sixth in the championship. Sixth in the championship. And they are now. They are now twentieth in the championship after Rooney's fifteen games in charge. Which, um, yeah, I mean, it seems a remarkable thing to say after eighty-two days in charge. But the surprise is that he's lasted this long because it started badly and and got worse. They lost three uh, 0 at Leeds in his last game, which is not, you know, to be honest, is a is not a terrible result for anyone this season. But that's only in isolation. In the context of his fifteen games, they have been poor, poor, poor right throughout and. Yeah, I, I mean, I slightly, I find myself slightly feeling for him because he's now taken three jobs that seemed odd on paper in Derby and DC United and Birmingham. And I don't, it's not an obvious next path to where he goes next. I, mm. I, I suppose he has to go abroad and maybe back to MLS, but yeah, not a good one. He could always go to the, uh, the Saudi Pro League and not win a game for two months. like uh... Or Salford, um, because they're without a manager and it sounds like reportedly they're interviewing Ryan Giggs for it so maybe they could just kind of recreate that incredible jeans and shoe photo of all the Man United lads out in Manchester and <laughs> all turn up to the interview like that It's an idea, thanks for that anyway Daniel, uh, we were talking about how good the festive period has been for Wolves and West Ham and Forest. Forest, who are up to 15th now after their 2-1 win on Saturday over Man United a game that you were actually present for Daniel How's life under Nuno? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's really good at the moment. Um, the, the the most impressive thing is that they went to Newcastle and fell one 0 down, and then played very differently to how they played under Steve Cooper. Um, they wanted, I think, to counter under Steve Cooper, but things had gone a little bit stale. There were clearly a breakdown in relationship between him and the owner, and Nuno had decided that we're going to throw players forward on the counter attack. We're going to play this kind of bells and whistles and bangs and cracks at counter-attacking football. But the win against United was completely different. This was a kind of return to the Steve Cooper home big game playbook. They beat Liverpool 1-0 last season. They beat Arsenal 1-0 last season. Doing this, like soaking up pressure, trying to counter but not throwing players forward. And it really worked. The atmosphere at the City ground was brilliant. Morgan Gibbs-White looks like he's really enjoying playing as number 10 behind a striker. Uh, and Anthony Alanga is mm. is the winger that Manchester United let go that they probably shouldn't, and certainly not for a sixth of the price they paid for Anthony. So it's an interesting case Saturday of what they have and what they could have had, Man United, because Alanga was there, and his departure was one of the knock-on effects of the decision to splurge how much on Anthony? Eight, 86 million, yeah. When was, and, when and was the last time are, he scored or assisted a goal? Uh, I think May the 13th. May the 13th, against 13th Wolves, sort of, right. Ball across the box for Anthony Martial. Um, yeah, there, there are a number of, very quickly, there are a number of indirect results. One is annoying Jaden Sancho, uh, who who clearly felt he should be in the team in, ahead of Anthony, and um, that relationship is now broken beyond repair. We know that. Um, another is Anthony Alanga, who was allowed to leave for, for 15 million, and who to the surprise, I think, of a few, is is two years younger than Anthony. Um, he's still only 21, Anthony Alanga. So he's, he's he's kind of Anthony the Younger as well as Anthony Alanga. Nice, yeah. nice. He's, he's fifth in Europe for goals and assists from players aged 21 or young, younger in you know in Europe's top five leagues. He wow. is flying at Forest. Uh, and the, the third is Amad Diallo, who United signed for 20-odd million from a- Atlanta, loaned out to Rangers because they signed Anthony and then loaned out to Sunderland. He was really, really good. Looked exciting. And 
against Forest, played his first minutes since I think December 2021 for United and looks a better player than <laughs> Anthony does <laughs> because he looks prepared to take on his man and put a cross into the box rather than just trying to shoot low straight at the keeper. You called Anthony the worst signing, Manchester United's worst signing of the Premier League era. Pound for pound, I think he's the worst signing. He, oh, at the of moment, any he has club. to be. He has to be yeah. because he's 86 million. He's one of the most expensive players ever signed by a British club. Mm. And he's gone 20 games without a goal or assist and he's a winger. Um, I just, yeah, I, it's, it's unfathomable. And, and the reports, you know, there's a piece in The Athletic about this kind of manic buy in which if we're led to believe the valuation was around 25 or 30 million, Manchester United then lose their first two games of the season um, in which Anthony Langer features and Jaden Sancho starts and then they panic and say, well, we, we we need Anthony, he's the guy we want. And they, well, if, if those numbers are right, then right. a 60 million surplus well, in the space of two if games. If they're trying to explain that 60 million surplus, I imagine it's a very carefully worded article. Mm. <laughs> uh, anything you'd like to add about United? Are there problems or should we just love up Forest? Oh, a, a bit of both, I suppose. Yeah. I, I was um, going to say, I was on Reddit, as I often am, and saw someone say, would you rather have... Um, Anthony Alanga and £86 million. Pounds. <laughs> or Anthony. <laughs> I think it's kind of easy. Give me a second with that one. Yeah. yeah. Well. Huh. Okay. Uh, but beyond beyond United, yes. uh, or indeed with United, the worst calendar year since 1972, 2023 was. They were, I mean, they are quite bad. Mm. And uh, They've scored. They've scored fewer goals than Luton, having yeah. played a game more than them. And there's loads of things that they do that are odd. Like, there's a... What was the game? Is it Forrest they lost the goal and, and Kobe Mino was playing? So they don't have anyone in that space between the midfield and defence. You don't have to have that, but they just don't have anyone in that anchor position, mm. which, um, I mean, if you're playing... Well, that was what Casemiro was bought for, no? I, I think so, yeah. yeah. But then, I, well, was he? They just bought him because he was shiny in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that goal, JJ, is that... Yeah, as you say, every Man United player, Scott McTominay comes on for Manu and he's he's in Forrest penalty area oh, for his yeah. break. And then... Everyone manages to get back because Ryan Yates is not particularly fast at carrying the ball forward. Everyone gets back. But rather than more, Mark Morgan gives White on the edge of the box, they all run past the ball. So they're all like eight yards from their own goal when gives White shoots in about 10 yards of space. It's, it's so weird. It's a phenomenal lack of defensive organisation. I think Man United would have the worst five-a-side team in the entire league. <laughs> Players who are never in the right positions. They all go forward and they always put the ball out wide and then you can't do it. You can't score from wide. You just use it to create space. You should be a bit deeper. There's never anyone at the base of the diamond. There's always people missing from that sort of situations. Everyone thinks they're amazing. Bruno Fernandes would be the worst five-a-side teammate in the world. He'd get the ball. He'd try and do everything himself. He'd be amazing. He'd score like three or four absolute mm. wonder. And you'd be like, oh, wow, this guy's really good. But he'd never come back. And he'd be moaning at everyone every single time. <laughs> and he'd be like, I don't want to play this guy anymore. And you just stop going. And then Anthony Martial shooting overhead high. It's like, oh, okay, not again, Anthony. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, all that there is to say is that obviously Sergio Ratcliffe has now got his 25% minority stake through. Mm. I think Man United fans suddenly expecting that results are going to turn around kind of need to be a little bit more realistic. I, I, what I would expect will happen is that Sergio Ratcliffe will, I think Sir Dale, Dave Brailsford's going to be put in place and right. will assess the operations. But clearly Manchester United's footballing operation on and off the pitch has been subpar for quite a long period of time so you need to fix what's going on behind the scenes before you see any tangible genuine long-term improvement on the pitch and that and that takes a lot of time okay uh for anyone wondering if we might be in the end game for 
Eric Ten Hag, what, what's, what's the feeling there? What's the buzz out or up at the I, I, I wouldn't imagine that they'd um, get rid of Ten Hag at this point in the season. One, because it would be quite expensive. Two, because they probably need to assess him up close. So I'd imagine that they'd wait until um, the summer before making a decision. And I'm pretty certain he only signed a three-year contract anyway. So by that point, he'd be into the final 12 months of his deal and maybe it's easier to to get rid of him. But then they have the question of who do they want to bring in? Right. Daniel wrote a piece back in November, I think it was, with the headline, something like, sack this man now, Daniel. I mean, effectively, yeah, because all we've done since is is barely rearranged deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> um, the, the galling thing for supporters is that they will, there are glimpses there when you know what Ten Hag is trying to do, but it generally happens at either 1-0 or 2-0 down. And you can't just keep, you can't just keep rolling that. You can't just keep hoping that that's enough because you don't play an Aston Villa team with a high line, even at 2-0 up every week. You don't get to do that. And to hear Ten Hag after the game kind of say, well, the 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 new you know, minority shareholders know that when I get my squad together, things will be better. And you think, Manchester United has almost exclusively signed players that you've previously managed or wanted in the last two years. So, I mean, the trust is not there for that to happen. I, I, I agree with, with, with Jay. I don't... I don't see that there's any huge benefit into going down that you know this repeated cycle of interim caretaker managers who know the club for four or five months that doesn't seem to be any benefit to that you might as well let this season play out and then attack the summer with some degree of gusto fair enough to end on a positive then uh, are you feeling pretty confident now about Forest for the rest of the season I think it's proven that that a change was was probably needed both for Forrest and for Steve Cooper and for the players and and Nuno has has surprised people. I think there were some reservations among supporters because of, well, let's be frank, because of who his agent is and the kind of worry about agent influence at Forrest. But um, he is a he's already proved himself to be a very effective coach at identifying problems. Mm. He now has three weeks until the next league game because of of the FA Cup and the winter break, which is really helpful. It's kind of mini pre-season. So I don't think they're out of trouble yet because they're only five points ahead of Luton who have a game in hand. But um, yeah, Nuno will clearly want them moving forward. The, the only concern for Forrest is they've played all of the bottom five at home uh, and they are far better at home than away. So... We'll see. Okay, Forest as it stands now, five points clear of the drop, but having played a game more than Brentford, who are in 16th, and as you mentioned, Luton. All right, we'll be talking about Luton and Brentford and other things too next. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. 
This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Q. Hello to you. Q says, Happy New Year, gents. Uh, With the conclusion of this tight Premier League season, the men's Euros and women's football at the Olympics all coming up in 2024, could the panel name a player each who us listeners might not know now, but we'll be talking about at the beginning of 2025. And then I've put a note here. Remember to tell the panellists this before we do the show so they're not (laughs) caught out by this. Oh. Uh, Jay, anybody? Yeah, um, Brentford have a 19-year-old winger called um, Michael Olakigby, who um, I think is going to be a a seriously good talent. He's already played a few times in the Premier League this season. And I feel a little bit bad for him because at the moment where Brentford are so out of sorts, and I'm sure I'll touch on it, a little bit deeper in a minute he kind of comes on as a little bit of an emergency wildcard option in the final 10 minutes of game so what I'm looking forward to over the next 12 months is maybe him starting a lot more and just giving an opportunity from from the get-go and not being asked to basically bail Brentford out in the final 10 minutes of a game I hear you Jay Jay Hmm. Uh, I will go uh, with Jao Neves who plays at Benfica he's probably quite known now because he's been linked to the transfer gossip but uh, he's genuinely really, really good. Like a really energetic ball-winning midfielder, naturally linked with Man United. He's not exactly <laughs> what they need, <laughs> but uh, he's a good, good player, right? And so you build your tactics around good players. He'd be a good one to have. Mm, he's signed nice. a new contract, though. I think him Has and Antonio he? Silva. Yeah, so I think they might mm. not be going anywhere for a little while. Big release clauses. Really? Okay, yeah. Daniel. Uh, I will go a lot more niche, and that's uh, Amara Diouf, who is a 15-year-old. Uh, who has already made his debut for the Senegal national team and is considered, yeah, to be a very, very big prospect. I think he's going to end up... He's from that kind of generation foot academy. He's going to go to Mets, probably. That's where a few of those players end up. But yeah, he is already on the kind of radar of those big clubs. He's still at generation foot in in Senegal. Um, But yeah, I'm going to AFCON at the end of this month. Are you? Yeah. Yes, that's a, a kind of roundabout way of me plugging that no, I'm that's, going to enjoy. Well, I'm, I'm going as well. So I'm, nice. you're the first person I know who's oh, also going. Wow. So I, happy Nobody days. talks about that. How will Totally Football Show cope with the absences of Daniel Story <laughs> yeah. Jay Harris against some of these other podcasts that will only be losing minor? <laughs> We've got fluid options. That's the I thing. I don't know, though. <laughs> Swapping anyway, positions. For now, let me enjoy, uh, Jay, your presence as I uh, ask you, because the other question that Q asked in his fairly lengthy tweet was, uh, where will Ivan Tony be in a month? Will he still be at Brentford? I think so. I was always pretty confident that just circumstances meant it was more likely Tony would stay in January. And I think Brentford's results only make that a stronger case. I think it's important to acknowledge, we obviously didn't name him earlier when we were talking about Arsenal and strikers, mm. but Arsenal have a lot of FFP considerations to think about um, before they can sign any new players they've already got David Rea on loan from Brentford so they can't use that little loophole again so firstly they'd have to sign Rea before they can do anything else so that that's a little bit of complexity to, to Ivan Tony move is that a rule that you can't use loan to buy I think you can only have a certain um, amount of players on loan oh. from the same club in right. the same season okay um, I know there's two from video games, yes. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, I don't think they'd quite be able to do that that clever route. And also, I don't know if Brentford would accept having yeah. two two of their best players on loan at another club mm. with no money in through the door. It's, it's a bigger risk for them. And then just with Brentford's results at the moment, mm. they, they need him. They um, 
let's say that Ivan Tony's worth 70 million pounds. That money is nice, but Brentford will get more money from staying in the Premier League. And at the moment, they're in a little bit of a precarious position. So the owners and the director of football will be saying, okay, we could take 70 million for Ivan Tony, but it's a risk. Even if we reinvest it, we're not necessarily going to get someone in who's going to perform at the level he is. Yeah, particularly with Wissarat and Bomo's exactly. injured for a foreseeable uh, five defeats in a row now for the Bees. You were at the most recent one, the 3-1 loss to Crystal Palace. Palace coming from behind for their first home win in, in four months. Did, did you enjoy Palace, uh, Michael Olise? Um yeah, I, I do. I do really like watching Eze and Elise, but obviously it was slightly through through gritted teeth um, because I don't <laughs> don't want Brentford to to get out of this poor spell of form. I think it's important to to recognise that Brentford. I know lots of teams are struggling with injuries, but but Brentford have really been dealt a bad hand. They've basically got no fit fullback at the moment. Um, Christopher Eyes out. Um, I think it's with a foot injury. Aaron Hickey's out long term. Rico Henry's done his ACL. So Thomas Frank's basically converted a couple of midfielders into wing backs and it worked for a couple of games and now they've been caught out. Um, Brian and Bumo was obviously playing really well. I think he had seven goals, four assists in 15 games. Now he's out for three months. Um, Visser, like you said, is off to AFCON. Kevin Sharder, who's a really exciting talent, he's been out. He's been out injured, I think, for three months now and is not going to be back for at least another month injured himself in the warm-up before the Everton game. I'm not too sure I've ever seen someone suffer such a serious injury in the warm-up before a game before. And then there's been a couple of times where Brentford have done things where they've like self-inflicted harm on themselves. They, mm. they were 1-0 up against Aston Villa, I think, in the 70th minute when when Ben Mee, who's normally a very assured and calm person on the football pitch, makes this wild lunging tackle, gets sent off. And then the final 20 minutes of that game was just pandemonium and they and they lose it so there's a little bit of sympathy for them but I also think they've made a few silly decisions but Tony should be back for the next game against Nottingham Forest so Oof. at the moment it feels like he is arriving just at that critical time when they really need a morale boost how sharp do you think he's going to be though after such a lengthy absence well obviously it's not as if he's been injured for eight months no um so for the first four months of his ban mm. um he was basically with a personal trainer and then for the last four months, he's been training with Brentford's first team every day. He's played in quite a lot of behind closed doors friendlies. I asked Thomas Frank about this the other day and he said he scored two goals against whatever team it was last week. So I'm pretty confident he's going to get up to speed. Um, so I think they'll be feeling pretty confident that, yes, of course, playing behind closed doors friendlies is very different to playing in the intensity of the Premier League. But it won't be as dramatic a jump as if he'd been out injured for eight months. All right. But I hope so, because as you say, it's a bit of a worrying trend for the Bees. Uh, Wolves, one of the many teams who you've seen beating Brentford of late. They've had three straight wins. Gary O'Neill's side. They beat Everton 3-0 at the weekend. JJ, Wolves. I like the Wolves. You do? Yeah. The animals. Nice. Yeah. We discussed this briefly last time I was on. I think I should probably not try and derail the podcast like I normally do. What did uh, <laughs> was it? Some story about Nigel Pearson in the Carpathian Mountains or something like that? No, it was about whether they are in packs or whether they're lone animals. Ah, yeah. Because I in my head they're in packs, but they are also lone wolves. I think you get both kinds. These wolves, though, Gary O'Neill is very much a pack. Yes. Is that right? That's right. All right. I enjoyed the way Gary Neal... It's also a tremendous, a tremendous segue. <laughs> <laughs> I like when Gary Neal was on the TV a while ago explaining exactly how he beat 
Um, mm. I think he was Bournemouth, wasn't it? His old team. That's, I mean, that's funny. He must have been like, yes, here we go now. Obviously, yeah. that's old news. Uh, yeah, they seem to have um, improved under him. Uh, I think O'Neill is uh, what you see from his teams that they're really good out of possession, and that's what a lot of teams in the Premier League are now. I think people of people coaches are really focusing on how they press high, and it's really organised and it's very specific based on what the opponents will do. And uh, Gary O'Neill's definitely made Wolves better at that. Mm. They were a way more tactically interesting team than I'd maybe given them credit before when I watched them beat Brentford. Ray and Aitnori, who I thought was just kind of your your archetypal left back, was you know moving into central positions. He was playing really high up on the left wing. Um, Mateus Cunha is still quite remarkable that he's ended up at Wolves, but he really is a player who should really be at a top six club. He was remarkable at receiving the ball from deep and, and turning with the ball. I think this is Hwang Hee-chan's best ever season in the in the Premier League. I mean, just look at the second goal he scored against Brentford. Ethan Pinnock's no slouch and he made him look a little bit silly with a flick over the head. So I think O'Neill has improved them as a team and then he's made certain individuals just perform much better as well. Wang's uh, as much fun to watch as he, he is to say. Sorry, uh, Daniel. I'd say one visiting manager has kept a clean sheet at Molyneux in 2023 uh, and it was Gary O'Neill with Bournemouth. So <laughs> he's the king of Molyneux. All right. And Wolves have got Pedro Neto back now as well who was uh, such, an, uh, such a revelatory talent in the opening phase of this campaign. Really well timed that because Wang is obviously off to oh, the yeah. Asian Cup for a month with Sun. So yeah, I mean, it's a credit to O'Neill that I'd, I'd almost forgotten about Pedro Neto and yet he's been one of the players of the season because they've done so well in his absence. Brilliant. Not so good for Everton, Christmas. Three defeats in a row and teams below them like Luton and, well, Forest, who are not below them, uh, picking up loads of points over the festive period. We'll come back onto the Hatters in a second or two. Uh, a shout-out to West Ham, though, who are in action tonight, as we recall. That's Tuesday. They'll be up against Brighton. Been an interesting game, that. Brighton, of course, over the uh, over recent days, had that whopping 4-2 victory over Spurs, that was on Thursday. Thursday, what they were calling Thursday and that kind of morass of days in between. I have no idea when that big was. Big Christmas and big New Year's, yeah. But uh, in amongst that, you'd have West Ham. They beat Arsenal 2-0. They also beat Man United 2-0, didn't they? Anyway, and oh, David Moyes is going to sign a new deal, or is he? Is that right? Daniel? Well, that, that seems to be the report, and it's, it's, it's a very odd one in that you, you absolutely cannot argue against it on the evidence. He has won uh, a major trophy. Um, he has now got West Ham perilously close to the top six, uh, and even the top four, if you look at their form I mean, they're literally everybody six around at them. the moment, yeah. That is, that is pretty close to the top yeah. six. Um, and yet there will be West Ham fans who kind of think, Maybe this is all working because nobody is really settled in and it's kind of Moyes is almost managing for his job and the players get it and everybody's loving life. And yet you cannot say for any certainty that this is a really good thing for West Ham, which is nonsense because look at the form under him and look at the job he's done. But, mm, it's confusing, um, isn't it? Yeah, there's just this, yeah well, there's just this odd kind of weird disconnect between this new sporting director who has kind of been looking for these kind of slightly sexy foreign signings and... Moyes who wanted James Ward-Prowse and James Ward-Prowse has been brilliant and yeah it's hard to know if everyone's on the same page and yet it's it's absolutely working and Pakatar has been he's been let off the leash a little bit hasn't he Pakatar? Uh, he's been great he came out of injured though didn't he in the last game oh. I think yeah he did oh. hamstring I think it was yeah oh dear okay well there you go more on West Ham probably on Thursday 
Thursday when we'll be back uh, looking ahead to third round of the FA Cup. Wednesday, uh, meantime, we'll get the Euro boys in, those that are actually in London, uh, for a bit of a chat about not too much. I mean, probably the January transfer window in Europe in prospect and City Out, which is already back up and running uh, with a whole bunch of games at the weekend. And just generally, you know, any Euro stuff that might have happened over Christmas. Speaking of things in other countries, JJ, a note that Philip Clement has finally lost a game at Rangers after a 15-game unbeaten run. Yeah. But that wasn't the biggest story in Scotland this weekend, was it? What was? Well, I'm going with the uh, game in the Scottish Championship where oh, our yeah. Bruce <laughs> took on Wraith Rovers. So um, our Broth could only name four subs because they have such bad injury problems no I'm told yeah so i i found all this out from a, one of my many football whatsapp groups that i'm in they had to make three substitutes by half time because of injuries no correct and then uh they got another one in the early second half so they only had the goalkeeper left brought him on so they brought him on as an outfield player up, up, how up badly top, did that go well uh not long after he hooked the ball in from about 35 yards on the volley <laughs> it's a bit it's amazing it is an amazing goal the kind of technique you wouldn't get from a striker, would you? It has to be a goalkeeper the way he hits that. Well, it reminded me of a goal that Didier Drogba scored yes. at Goodison for Chelsea, where he, he the ball kind of just bounces over him and he lets it run further than he should because he's a goalkeeper. And then sort of, yeah, effectively goal kicks it into the top corner. It's, it's magnificent. A phenomenal strike. They were 2-0 down at the time and the Red Lichties... Is that right? You said the soft ech noise as well, really well. That's oh, good. thank you. Yeah. Red Lichties did better than I did with Michael Olise earlier. Uh, drew 2-2. Two, two. Bingo. Seek out the goal. You'll it's find it on Twitter, yeah. It's all over uh, social media, oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah no, no, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, other things from this weekend in the Premier League. Let's see. Spurs bounce back from the Brighton defeat by beating Bournemouth 3-1. Aston Villa beat Burnley 3-2. And it was a 3-2 win for Chelsea away at Luton with two goals and assist for Cole Palmer, a.k.a. Cold Palmer, who is, along with Wang and anybody else you want to throw in, probably the most exciting player to watch right now in the Premier League, would you say? Um, certainly up there. And I think that move has gone better than anybody could have predicted. Certainly not as quickly as this. What I really love about Palmer is that he, he 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 has this tendency to sort of almost deliberately drift out of games. He's playing that to Conor Gallagher and Conor Gallagher is like, I want the ball at all times. I'd rather have my own ball and you just play with one. Whereas Palmer, I think he completed like 21 passes against Luton and had like 38 touches. And I think there's like three more than Amanda Broger who played like 59 minutes or something. But yet... He's almost like I'm keeping myself ready that when I touch the ball, like late era Messi used to do, like... I'm going to not touch the ball deliberately for a while. So when I do it, I'm going to do four things really well and probably assist a goal or score a goal. He's he's phenomenal at managing to like find that space. And it, I think it comes because he's not constantly trying to get on the ball. He's just sort of staying hidden in pockets of space and then flicking a switch and, and turning. And yeah, I think he is probably... There's a number of English players in that position who are now becoming outsiders for the Euro squad. Morgan Gibbs-White is one, Palmer is another, Anthony Gordon is a slightly different role, but I think he's there as well. And Palmer now seems to be the one really surging forward for it. Am I right in thinking that... Yeah, am I right in thinking that Palmer scored the winner in the Super Cup and he also scored in the Community Shield? Yeah. That happened, didn't it? Yeah. Or am yeah. I... Is this one of the weird... Three years <laughs> like, ago. Things where things become reality that are only in my mind. It could be that. 
Anyway, yeah, big game player if he did do that. He scored the third goal in this game in pretty special fashion. I'm not sure how many replays you went back to check out exactly what he'd done, but a, a pizzadita, they're calling it, aren't yeah. they, Daniel? What yeah, does that where mean? you kind of, where it's where you roll the ball with the sole of your foot one mm. way and kind of dip your body that way, which, yeah, just it, it, if you, you put dragged it, off, it. It, 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 yeah, you drag it with the sole of your foot, you roll mm. your foot over the ball to do that, and it's 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 effectively a cheat move because it's impossible to stop if you get it right as. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as Thomas Kaminsky was happy to show you. Yeah. You hold sideways on the right stick and that's how you do it. <laughs> The thing is, that's exactly what was going through my head as well. That's what I thought, yeah. <laughs> a word on Luton, though, who didn't win this one, but they staged a stirring comeback to give Chelsea a bit of a scare. It's been a really good Christmas period for them, all things considered. Um, obviously, after what happened to, to Tom Lockyer, they won that first game back against um, Newcastle, then they beat Sheffield United. I think they beat Sheffield United at Bramall Lane as well and came from behind. I think they were 2-1 down towards the end. So that was another big result over a team that's, you know, in the bottom three with them. And then, you know, they were 3-0 down and looked not down and out on Saturday, but they they could have been. But instead, they, they produced this so close to being an incredible comeback. I think they hit the bar twice. Um, Adebayo had a goal disallowed and made Chelsea look far more uncomfortable than they should have. So it's three, three results where they've got six points, they've performed brilliantly in all of them and, and that's given them a, a massive boost of confidence. And, and a couple of weeks ago, people were maybe looking at the bottom three thinking they were completely adrift. And now I think Luton have put real pressure on Forest, Everton and, and Brentford in particular. So fair yeah. play to them. Yeah, game in hand. Who's who's the game in hand against though? Is it City or something? It will be Bournemouth. Uh, no, no, it's at Bournemouth because it's the one that was Ooh. postponed because of Lockyer's Lockyer's Of course. Collapse. Of course it is. Uh, also this weekend, Spurs with that 3-1 over Bournemouth, we mentioned, and the Villa 3-2 win over Burnley. Very briefly, anything we should take from those? Spurs have more injuries. Mm. Uh, Papi Matassar went off the pitch in tears, presumably because he's going to miss AFCON. Uh, Valith went off the pitch in tears, presumably because he's quite injured. Um, they're about to obviously lose Son, plus Yves Basuma. That squad is so thin they beat Bournemouth, but Bournemouth had more shots than they've ever had against a big six team before. They had 24 shots. It was a, a kind of nervy, weird win. But I just don't know how many... It feels like with this Tottenham team, you're sort of playing kaplunk where you take out another stick and hope that everything doesn't sort of fall apart. And right. Or Yenga. Kaplunk would be your I reference. don't know. Ka- mm, Yenga. They're quite similar games, yeah. I suppose. You call it Yenga, not Jenga. Yenga. Well, yeah, because it's... <laughs> is that what it's called? Though? Wow. I have no Soft idea, J. but it involves I'd, I'd, like, oh, bits I, of blonde wood, so I always assumed it was I fully believe. Scandinavia. I call it... Oh. Well, you call it Jenga. I call it Kaplunk. Kaplunk, <laughs> right. But then I call Ikea, Ikea. So. Ikea. I call it Ikea. Oh, you do? Okay, well, that's fine then. Depends when with... Depends when I want is to Is that how you say it? All right. Wait, so is it Jenga or Jenga? Because I am intrigued by this. It's got to be Jenga. It's no got to be hard, Jay, surely. I think when I James is here at Jenga, when he's not, then we can call no, it. No, no, you call it, what you, call it what yeah. you want to. Do you know that Tottenham or, or, or James? I call you James. James. In private, so. uh, Jenga uh, or Jenga <laughs> is a game of physical skill created by British board gamer designer author Leslie Scott. So it's mm. a British it's game. Hard J, hasn't it? Got to be a hard J. Yeah. Hard J. Mm. Speaking of which, what's your take on Aston Villa? Yeah, I mean they're still, you know, kind of. Um, Plowing away in the in the top four and doing really well. Mm. Um, I think obviously we've spoken a lot about Emery making 
the team better as a collective. But again, players like Leon Bailey have, have really kind of come to the fore under Emery. Douglas Louise as well. So I still don't think they'll have the legs to, to kind of keep up in the title race, but I certainly think that they're very serious top four contenders. Top four. All right. Uh, Leon Bailey, by the way, fantastic uh, breakdown of his backstory in The Athletic that was out there over Christmas. What a remarkable, what a remarkable story he has had. Uh, there you go. Anything you want to add, JJ, before we park this one? No, I just had a lovely time. It's been great. Did you? Yeah, it's fantastic. Always nice hanging out with the football people. Yes. Oh, Daniel's got something. I just wanted to self-congratulate um, on getting through a show with a James, a J and a JJ and nice. not <laughs> messing it up on any moment. All right. Or a yay, a yay and a yay, yay, as I would like to yeah. call them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fabulous. All right. Uh, excellent. Who's up for Brentford next, Jay? Um, so they've got Wolves this weekend. Oh, no, on Friday in on the FA Friday Cup. Friday in the FA Cup. Yeah. Mm. All right. Excellent. Well, best of luck with that. Best of luck with whatever you're up to, JJ, until we next meet. And you, uh, Mr. Story, uh, of course you can get Daniel's collected thoughts on everybody in the Premier League on the I. Uh, it's called The Score, this piece. You probably know that. Uh, and there's loads of brilliant content on The Athletic. We will have a brand new show for you Thursday and a Euro show before that on Wednesday. So I hope you'll be joining us again soon. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.